I was in Lake Michigan, and there was a huge amount of algae near the shore. I laid down in it, and it felt amazing. It was like being in this warm, comfortable blanket all around you. That sounds disgusting. It felt great. Okay. Welcome to RequestCast, the request-based podcast. I'm Lewis Powell. And I'm Ben Heaton. And today's request comes from Farron, and the request is, Lewis makes a big list of ideas, and Ben tells him why they won't work. So, uncharacteristically for me, I have prepared for this episode by composing a big list of ideas. Maybe too big of a list, we'll find out. But I'm confident that there are at least a couple ideas on this list that Ben will not be able to tear holes into. I'm confident that there will be many that I am. <laughs> that is almost certainly true. So I'm gonna do the list, I guess, in the order that I wrote it. Alright. The first item on my list is Smurf and Turf, and I don't know what that is, but I feel like there's an idea there. Alright, so my first objection to that is, it isn't really an idea yet. <laughs> it is! This seems inchoate. Like, is this something you serve in a restaurant, the way Surf and Turf is? That's one option. It could also be like an episode of the TV show Smurfs. It may, in fact, already be an episode of the TV series, The Smurfs. Yeah, I did not Google to see if anybody had used Smurf and Turf before. When I thought of it, I thought, that's going on the list. There's something there. I think as a menu item, it isn't a great idea because Smurfs are fictional. <laughs> you could just make it some land animal and something dyed blue. Oh, right. I was like, no, no, no. It would be a land animal and lobster. But I was thinking that the... Yeah. Okay. So fair enough. Start off with an easy one for you. A bad idea that was in fact not even a complete idea. Here's one that's more of a legitimate idea. An auxiliary car battery in your car that works kind of like a spare tire. And what I mean by that is, like if your car battery dies, you're just screwed. But if you get a flat tire, you usually have an extra tire in your car. So why wouldn't you just have like an extra spare car battery and like just a switch on the dashboard that you can flip if your battery dies that'll get some juice from the other one long enough for you to get somewhere where you can buy like a new good battery. Well, I think some people do have spare batteries like in their trunk, right? Maybe, but I want one that's built into the car so that if your car is having trouble starting, you can just push a button and it'll use the other battery. So the idea is to avoid the effort of switching the batteries out? No, 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 no. The idea behind the second battery, and as I'm sure is going to be fascinating for our audience. I'm fascinated. Is that it's like having a jump start in your own car, right? So it just gets the juice going so that you can get the alternator working to charge up your second battery. And if it's fully dead, it would get you like to a service station. Right, but when you have a spare tire, it you do have to put in some effort changing the tires. This sounds different than that in principle. Okay. That's not a flaw with the idea, really. It's just how you're presenting it. It doesn't seem like a strict analogy to a spare tire. So you've shifted to personal attacks. We're on the second item, and you're not even challenging the idea anymore. You're just challenging me. I'm saying that this idea started out in one place, and now it's kind of in another. I see. You're calling me unfocused. Next idea, a TV show about a superhero whose main power is wearing metal gauntlets, and then in parentheses, the hero's name is Metal Hands McGee. Right, so this is a character that you've been trying to find a home for for some time now, right? Yes. 
Metal Hands McGee punches things with metal gloves. So I like his name, and I like his catchphrase, which, if I remember correctly, is Katamo. That's right, I forgot about the catchphrase. Katamo! Wait, was that his catchphrase, or was that just the sound effect when he punches someone with his metal hands? I think his catchphrase was the sound effect of punching someone with the metal hand, which would be written Katamo, was what I decided. I like that. The thing he's always saying is, in fact, punching people. Punch! Metal Hands McGee said. <laughs> uh, he's not saying the word punch. What he's saying is itself the act of punching. Yes. His catchphrase is a punching word. Yeah, basically on this show, punching is a speech act. <laughs> I'm not sure the character is fully fleshed out yet. Like, what happens in an episode? Is it just punching? Well, no, it's not just punching. The character has dialogue that is not in the form of punching. Okay, what sort of things happen in? Is this basically like Batman, but with more punching? Less campy. Oh. I mean, I know it doesn't sound that way from my description. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of leading with the campy parts. I am. But I was thinking it was going to be sort of like a... Not quite as intensely dark as noir. Mm-hmm. What's like the French word for gray? I'm going to guess gray. Grease, probably, or something. G-R-I-S. I don't know. Anyway, it's going to be like a lighter noir TV show. So, like, he's like hard-boiled. He walks around. Or she. I haven't actually decided that Metal Hands has to be a guy. And, you know, there's a lot of underrepresentation of female superheroes. And so, yeah, so investigating crimes, stopping them, you know, that would be about as fleshed out as the character is, is that they are a superhero. Whose powers are geared towards the physical combat. No, the only power is really that they own these metal gloves. They're not magical metal gloves. They're literally just gauntlets. Anyone could make them. <laughs> Are you a trained blacksmith? Anyone could buy them. Yeah, okay, anybody could buy them, provided they have enough disposable income to purchase some gauntlets. Sure, from like a Ren Fair. No, these are like high quality. These are not Ren... I mean, no offense to people who make things at Ren Fairs, but these are like... Those are some fine craftsmen. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know that they're using the best metals. Maybe these are made out of, you know, adamantium or whatever. That's not a real thing, is it? That's just an X-Men thing. Yeah. Well then... Kevlar? Titanium? What's the super punchy material? I mean, you could probably get something stronger than what was available in ye olden days. Right. As you know, blacksmiths who exhibit at Ren Fairs are sticklers for period accuracy. At least many of them are. Yeah. So I, I'm not hearing any uh, problems, reasons why this won't work. Well, I do think you might be coming at the TV show pitch idea from the wrong direction. It seems like you have this superpower and you're trying to build a show around it, rather than trying to come up with a show where that organically emerges as the best fit for a character on it. I mean, presumably the way that a lot of TV shows about superheroes are made is they start with the question, what superhero could we turn into a really interesting action figure, and then work backwards from there. You know, the Transformers style. Or He-Man, where they literally started with a toy line that some people needed a show built around. Oh, really? I didn't know that He-Man did that. I think it was He-Man. Something from that era. All right. So the problem here is that you think I am not crafting my television program with a sufficient attention to narrative detail. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. My next item, a website where you can type in things like, quote, a word that starts with a W and means, like, the sense of longing you get when you think about an old friendship, end quote, and it tells you the word that you're trying to remember. Wistfulness? That might be. I actually didn't think of a specific word <laughs> when I wrote this up. So I just, it's kind of fortunate that there happened to be a W word that worked. 
In fact, if I'm going to help you out with the problem with this, I often get the wrong first letter when I'm doing this. I'm often like, it starts with an M, and then somebody's like, is it the word pejorative? And I'm like, it is the word pejorative. And then they get upset because it doesn't start with an M. All right, so I don't think that this is a bad idea, but I do think that it already exists. And what it is is a thesaurus website where you look at the results and just look for the ones starting with the letter you're thinking of. Hmm. So this is a bad idea in the sense that it, I was trying to sound like it was a new idea, but it was in fact just a thesaurus on the internet. Or possibly it's a new interface to a thesaurus website. Yeah. Where you can specify the starting letter. And that would actually be useful to me sometimes. Like, when we were doing Terror Island and we had the past speech stuff, I would often be in a position of looking for a synonym of something that started with a particular letter, and I would use a thesaurus site this way. Yeah. Also, if you fix on the letter, then you could sort of loosen the how much of a synonym it needs to be criterion. Yeah, I'm not sure how well thesaurus sites would do that. I guess you look at the results and then click on each of those, maybe the ones that go in the direction you're kind of thinking of. Yeah. Because if you jump from synonym to synonym throughout a thesaurus, you do eventually get some drift. Yeah. Okay, this is a pair of ideas that both relate to Scrabble. All right. I'm wary to begin with. The first one is Scrabble, but where instead of playing English letters, you play phonemes. And so the idea would be, instead of it being like, oh, I can't play off of that because there's a C there. If it's the K sound, then I could play in the other direction, cat, even if you had played, uh... Kettle. Yeah. You could have like a schwa for your tile. Right. That's the idea, is basically you're playing Scrabble with the international phonetic alphabet and phonetic realizations of words. That's kind of interesting. Say you're using the International Phonetic Alphabet, how many tiles would there be for the English language version of this? I don't know, probably like 600. I'm not actually familiar with the International Phonetic Alphabet, because it's an actual phonetic alphabet and not a radio telephony spelling alphabet. (laughs) So it's outside of my wheelhouse. I used to be more familiar with it than I am, but it'll have more than 26 for representing English, and probably depends on how fine-grained you want the representations to be, but the vowels particularly, you'll get a lot more than five of them. Yes, that is true. You might have to do some substantial reworking to the rest of the rules of Scrabble for this to work. Yeah, I think it would be a lot harder to play words in this. Really? I mean, you presumably you get like 14 tiles at a time instead of seven. Oh, well... There'd be like a million in the bag, like... Uh, in that case, it would probably be easier, but turns would take a lot longer. <laughs> You have a lot of possibilities to look through. Also, very few people would choose to play a game that involves learning an entire system of phonetic representation with which they are unfamiliar. Well, learning IPA is useful to begin with. I agree that it's useful. I don't know that people are going to be like, oh, I bought this new board game, so let's all learn IPA. I would do that. (laughs) Yes, you would. Okay, here's my second Scrabble idea. This one's less does less violence to the typical way that you do Scrabble. Good. Scrabble, where any letter sequences are playable as long as it is sufficiently plausible that such a string could be a word of English. Yeah, that does more violence to the idea of Scrabble than the IPA one, in my opinion. But like, sometimes I have a series of letters that really look like they could be a word. I know it's not a word of English, but I'm like, it's not just like a bunch of consonants in a row. It's like it could actually, it's pronounceable. It sounds like it could be an English word. I feel like that would be a good variant of Scrabble. All right, so I have two objections to this. What objections could there possibly be to this idea? Well, the first is that I really dislike Scrabble variants that bring ambiguity into whether or not something is a valid play. Are you suggesting that my rule alteration does that? 
Yeah, I think you would get into arguments about whether something looks enough like a plausible English word. Unless you have some rules codified to say, like, here are the allowable beginning consonant clusters and so forth. Well, there's that thing, like, linguists do this. Yeah. Where they score phonemic, you know, likelihood of various spelling clusters occurring in words. So maybe we could get some linguists to help. At that point, you run into the issue you were raising with IPA, where are people going to learn this linguistics formula in order to play this game? And you're suggesting you don't think that people would learn an arbitrarily selected formula of proximity to actual English letter clusters. It sounds less useful outside the game than knowing IPA would. And knowing IPA is basically useful when you're looking up the pronunciation of words in some but not all dictionaries. <laughs> okay. All right, so much for my Scrabble variants. I have a second objection to this. In case that wasn't enough. Well, my second objection is that when you have letters on your rack that you think could spell out something that looks like it easily could be a word, but isn't really, then what you can do in regular base Scrabble is play that anyway and see if someone challenges. <laughs> yes, but if they do challenge, you lose. Yeah, that, that's exciting. It's a game of high-stakes bluffing. <laughs> And to be clear, you don't lose the game, you lose that turn. Well, right. Which I think is a fair penalty. It hurts, but not enough that you can't recover from it. Yeah. Okay, next idea. Delivery breakfast restaurants. One issue with that is, in the morning when I'm eating breakfast is the time when I am least looking forward to interacting with people. You're not a morning person is what you're saying? Well, I'm not a breakfast person in general, but even aside from that. Okay, so you don't have to order from this place, but some people are like, you know, it'd be great, a breakfast sandwich that I don't have to make or leave my house for. When I get delivery, usually there's a lot of uncertainty in when it's going to arrive. Like, they'll give an estimate, but it's usually off. Or it'll be like in about 30 to 45 minutes or whatever. Mm -hmm. I feel like for breakfast, for a lot of people, the timing is kind of important. Yeah, that is a fair criticism. Yeah. But then I'll bet that you will love this one, given that you have finickiness about your morning routine and, and whatnot. A mouth guard you wear while you sleep that cleans your teeth for you so you don't have to brush them in the morning. I think I would find it very difficult to sleep with that. I find it difficult to go to sleep at all, but this sounds like it would make it much harder. There would be motion in your mouth from this, right? No, I don't know that. I didn't say it brushes your teeth for you. What does it do exactly? Well, you know how when you go to the dentist, they do like the fluoride thing where you put it in your mouth and it's like that? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking something like that, but where you don't have to worry about the fluoride being liquidy and dripping into your mouth. It wouldn't be liquidy? Like, there's still sensation there. Look, I'm not a scientist. My point is, it would be a mouth guard you wear, and when you wake up, your teeth are clean. Okay, but you're comparing it to this dentist procedure, but when I go to the dentist, I'm typically not feeling like it's relaxing and helping me sleep. I'm just saying, like, the, the dental mouth guard that they do, they put a bunch of fluoride in, you, and you bite down on it for a while, and then your teeth are, like, way cleaner than they were before. So it's like a retainer deal, or headgear, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, retainer. I don't think headgear would work. Yeah, it's like a retainer filled with whatever sort of dental substance. Yeah. That could work, but it's not going to replace the regular brushing and flossing routine, right? What do you mean? That's the idea, is that it, you'd wake up and you wouldn't have to brush your teeth. I'm not sure that the fluoride treatment, or whatever this is, I'm not sure it would be fluoride. I just don't see this substituting for the usual ADA-approved toothbrush and toothpaste. What if I can get four out of five dentists to recommend it instead of brushing? Then I will be on board. Okay, I'll make a note. Three out of five will not do it for me. What? 
What about six out of ten? I'd say seven out of ten. All right, so three and a half out of five would be good enough for you. It would. All right, okay, next idea. I wrote down Kickstander. Like Kickstarter, but for things that are already up and running. (laughs) All right, well, given the idea, I like the name for it. (laughs) The creation process went the other way. I thought Kickstander, (laughs) and then I thought, what would that be? So this is basically just donations toward a project that already is running just fine. Yeah, well, so, like, if you want to have a Kickstarter, you need to be, like, doing some new crazy thing. Right, like you're writing a book or whatever. You're making a game, let's say. That's most of the Kickstarters I care about. Sure. But, like, think about, like, a public library that is in a neighborhood, a community that is not funding it sufficiently. Mm-hmm. Most public libraries. Yeah. Now imagine that they could put a video on a website that got a bunch of people to donate money so they didn't have to lay off all of their library pages. And they would get some backer rewards for this? Yeah, like priority on the new, you know, whenever the next teen werewolf novel comes out or whatever, they get to check it out first. Right, like privileges to be loud in the library. (laughs) Yeah, at a certain level you're entitled to bring a bullhorn into the (laughs) library whenever you want. What's great about that is that nobody who cares about the library enough to donate that much money would use that privilege. Like, if somebody does want to disrupt the library, then at least you've gotten a lot of money out of them. You could maybe build, like, a quiet wing that they don't go into. (laughs) Build a wing just for backers. Yes. Where all the good books are. Wait, now this is sounding like we're instituting, like, a class-based system where rich library patrons get better services than... Like, we're sort of undemocratizing the library. Yeah, I guess so. The perks would have to be precarious. Maybe it's just things like a poster signed by the librarians. I feel like you should be pouncing on these potential problems more since your job is to find objections to my view (laughs) instead of helping me fix the problem. (laughs) At this point, I'm basically interested in exploring what this means for libraries. (laughs) I think a serious objection here is that what mainly gets people excited about Kickstarters is the opportunity to make something new exist. And Kickstander just completely removes that angle. Okay, but here, let me tell you the what I think might be the ideal context for Kickstander. Okay. A lot of people get very upset when a TV show that they love, but is not, for whatever reason, good enough in the ratings to like for the network to keep it going, gets cut. Sure, like Firefly or Stark Raving Mad. Yeah, Stark Raving Mad being the paradigm example that everyone is familiar with. Stark Raving Mad was actually, it was pretty funny. I'll give, I'll give you that. I watched a bunch of episodes one time on your recommendation. <laughs> One of the big problems is, like, a bunch of people after Firefly got cancelled were expressing their interest and support. And eventually, I mean, Firefly is the, like, they were super successful eventually at convincing the studio to make a movie. But, like, what would have been ideal from the perspective of all the fans is if they could have prevented it from going off the air in the first place. And you can't, like, kickstart keeping the show afloat the same way you can kickstart, like, make a movie of the show. And so I feel like Kickstander would be good for, like... Hey, we're at risk of being cut. You love community. Give us whatever. That would be sort of the best case scenario, is to prevent the sort of situation where you're trying to revive the show by helping keep it alive in the first place. Well, that would be good with the diehard fans, but I'm not sure you'd get much broad appeal there, because a lot of people would see that and think, wait, this TV show is currently on the networks. This is already a thing. They must be making lots of money. Why are they begging for more? Just because a lot of people will see that a TV show exists and assume that they've made it. Well, we could couple it with a public awareness campaign that that's not how it works. Well, but I'm thinking 
say Community gets canceled, and then there's a Kickstarter to bring it back, maybe without a network, or maybe to get the network to reconsider. Yeah. Then people understand the motivation for it better. That's fair. All right. Okay, I think you're gonna like this next idea, though. All right. A machine that you put a cantaloupe in, and rindless sliced cantaloupe comes out. Sold. There's no problem with that idea. Uh, you're not even going to complain about, like, people don't need more single-use appliances in their kitchen? You don't need more single-use appliances that have some random niche use that you never care about, but this seems solid. Awesome. My lead idea is some sort of cantaloupe slicer. And derinder, that's key. Yeah, well, the derinder is crucial. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, this is one of my favorites on the list. Dog trucks. Like food trucks, but with puppies in them, and they drive around, and you can find the nearest one on Twitter and pay like $5 to play with puppies for a bit. First question, do they have to be puppies, or can these be dogs of all ages? I would expect every dog truck to have at least some puppies, but it wouldn't have to be exclusively puppies. Alright, because I'm just worried that if this is a thing for puppies, then what happens when they get older? Animal shelters are already kind of overcrowded, and having another source out there for demand for puppies that then get left behind when they grow up is just going to contribute to that. Okay, well then it doesn't have to be puppies. It can be any dogs. I could see people paying for that. I'm not sure they would pay for it in the numbers that they pay for food trucks, because food is more of a necessity that you get reminded of throughout the day, whereas puppies, people can satisfy that to some extent just with pictures online. It's not the same. I know it's not the same, but it's easier to approximate than food is. If you look at pictures of food online, it just makes you hungrier. Okay. No, but I could see this working. I, I don't think it could work on the scale of food I don't know if you're taking your job seriously trucks. enough, Ben. Ben, I feel like we should flip this one around and you should come up with ideas and I should tear them down because I feel like you're not embracing your role as critic of my ideas enough. You've been coming up with better ideas than I'd expected, to be honest. Well, let's not forget Smurf and Turf. Of the ones that are ideas... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to deliberately think of bad ideas. I mean, like, that are at least interestingly bad. Like, I could come up with lots of bad ideas, like, bladed toys for children. That's a bad idea. But, like, there's nothing interesting to coming up with that idea. Right. Okay, so next idea. A new word to distinguish between cinnamon as used in gum flavor and cinnamon as used in donuts. So basically sweet cinnamon and hot cinnamon? Yeah, are they the same thing? I don't even know what's going on there. All I know is when somebody offers me cinnamon-flavored gum, it's painful. But, like... Actual cinnamon is not painful. I think it's a question of concentration. I'm pretty sure they come from the same plant. They don't add something else to the hot cinnamon stuff instead of the... To the sweet cinnamon, they probably add sugar. Yeah, that's a good call. I agree. But like one of them should be called cinnamon and the other one should be called like painful flavor or whatever. Painful flavor is a little too broad. There can be a lot of painful flavors. How would you describe the flavor of like cinnamon gum apart from it hurts? Uh, red. <laughs> Maybe you could call them red cinnamon and brown cinnamon. Yeah, that works. All right, we'll do that. But I feel like using cinnamon for both of them is fine. Just optionally, you can distinguish by saying cinnamon, but the hot one. Okay, next idea. Oh, that's bars, not bears. For a second, I thought my idea was bears that are quiet, but... <laughs> that's a good idea. I mean, it's potentially a dangerous idea. <laughs> <laughs> Stealthy bears. <laughs> no, the idea that I actually have written down is bars that are quiet, even if lots of people are there. So just nobody wants to talk? No, no, no. So, like, there are some bars and restaurants you go to where, like, 
no matter how many people are there, if anybody else is having a conversation, the acoustics are such that, like, you cannot hear yourself think. Yeah. I want more muted so that you can hear the people that you are there with and talk with them, but it's not like this chaotic, noisy din of hateful noisiness. So a lot of that noise is actually part of the appeal to people. What? That doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't believe that. Sometimes the noise is like because the game is on and people are excited about that. Yeah, I'm not saying there shouldn't be any bars that are noisy. I'm just saying there should be some bars that aren't. And not just because they're dead and nobody's there. Right, but if you're in one of these bars and you start having a conversation with the people you're with, that is going to make it noisier. I mean, I feel like there's got to be some sort of, like, noise can't... Like, you know, the cone of silence from Get Smart, like that. Where, like, you're in your booth with your friends, and you can hear what's going on with them, but everybody else is not, like, fully soundproofed, but just, like, it's hard... You know, it doesn't... All right, if you're going for ideas that I can pick holes in, basing them on Get Smart technology is a good start. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Okay, the cone of silence worked terribly. They were never able to hear each other. <laughs> they... <laughs> oh, right. I thought you meant it was, like, too science fiction-y. No, it was appropriate to the tone of the show. That's that's the problem. <laughs> that's right. well then fair enough cone of silence is a bad idea okay a phone that puts up barriers to you calling for delivery food delivery food was just one example it could be more general a phone where you specify some numbers that it gives you a hard time if you try and call are you able to change what the settings on this are like remove a barrier if circumstances change so you don't need that anymore yeah it's more like a padlock with the key in an inconvenient location than a padlock where you threw away the key. So I think for a lot of people, this would work as a barrier for a little while, but eventually just changing the settings on this app or phone feature or whatever would become part of how they ordered delivery. I see. Like, the problem here is one of willpower and having an easy technological fix for that. I won't say that never works, but if it's circumventable, then it will be circumvented. I see. You're not a techno-utopian, then. Next idea. Indoor hammocks for guests. Instead of air mattresses, is the idea. Alright, indoor hammocks do exist. I think they're widely used on ships. Yeah, so I guess my idea is that they should be standard guest sleeping accommodation instead of an inflatable air mattress. I feel like they'd be less comfortable than, well, than a good air mattress. But more hammocky. Well, see, I like a hammock to relax in or maybe take a little nap on, but I'm not sure I would enjoy sleeping in one, like, for the night. I think you should try. Maybe I should. I don't know that it would be as... Now, I'm guessing the advantage here is just one of space? No, the advantage is that people don't stay in your house as long. Oh, so you're trying to drive them out with these hammocks instead of beds. I, I mean, it's been a while since I've tried sleeping in a hammock. I feel like I would enjoy it, because you get a little bit of a rocking, but it's not like seasickness levels. Unless you are at sea while this is happening. And actually, the ones that it would be really comfortable to sleep on are the ones that wouldn't do any space conservation. Because they're the ones that have the big flat at both ends instead of just being sort of... Right, not just a sling. Yeah, so your point about hammocks not being comfortable to sleep in seems like a good criticism of that idea. Yeah, and if you do want comfortable hammocks, then I think you're losing space considerations, which to me would be the main point in favor of the idea. Because an air mattress takes up a lot of room. That's the main problem with them. When it's in use. 
when it's not in use, it takes up still actually like they don't get that small. Right, but they're small enough that you can shove them into the corner of a closet and forget about them for a while. Yes. Okay, next idea. Roombas, but for litter. There's the question of what counts as litter and how does it tell? Like, scraps of paper are often litter, but they're also often important things that I do not want a robot to take from me. How often do you store them outdoors on the ground? Oh, this is an outdoor Roomba? Yeah, I mean, because a Roomba for litter in your house is just a Roomba. When I, I meant, like, a Roomba, like, instead of, like, big street sweeper machines, you just have, like, little robots all over the place cleaning, like, Wally, basically, but without the personality. Alright, well, if you're in a city, which is where a lot of litter tends to be... <laughs> Yeah. Then I think you'd get problems with people trying to obstruct this robot or perhaps damage it or steal it. Well, we could have, like, law enforcement help with that. That's... I don't think that's a legitimate criticism of my idea. I mean, unless it's being constantly supervised, I think you would get problems there. Also, Roombas need time to learn the area that they're going to be in, and it's typically a fairly small area compared to the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah, well... That's why this is better. Instead of cleaning up like 12 square feet of my house, this little dude is cleaning up the whole city. Well, okay, one of them is not cleaning up the whole city. It will if you make it right. I think it would take a <laughs> lot of these to cover a city, even a small city. Okay, well then we'll get a lot. A city is going to have considerably more obstacles than the typical living room. Also more moving obstacles. It has to be aware of traffic, right? It can't just go out into the middle of the street. Keep in mind, a lot of litter is in streets. That's a good point. Maybe we could ask people to just litter on the sidewalks. I think if you could change people's littering habits by asking them about it, litter would not be a problem. I mean, it depends. If you're trying to eliminate them, maybe. But like, maybe if you were to tell people, like, look, if you're going to litter, just litter this way. Litter in our designated littering locations, which are the insides of trash cans. <laughs> okay, fair point. Fair point. If you could get people to just... Litter in the right places, you would not have a litter problem. Alright. Okay, next idea. Return to academic robes or other uniform for academia. So outside of graduation ceremonies. So the graduation ceremony outfits are called regalia, and I feel like that's fancy clothes. What I want is like workaday non-dress robes that we wear just all the time. Or if people are really set against robes because they don't like the way robes look or whatever, then like red lab coat for professors. I want there to be a uniform for being in the academy. Do you want this to be a common thing where wherever you are, that's the shorthand for a professor at a university or college? Yeah. Yes, I do. Like a doctor wearing a doctor's coat? Or, or a fireman wearing a fireman outfit. Basically, I want there to be an academic uniform that is uh, not a suit. Yes, the only practical problems would be, like, making it something that all the academics are comfortable with having, especially if it's a required thing. If tenured professors are going to object to this and try to not wear it, then that could be an issue. Yeah, I mean, if you try and tell professors in general that they need to do things a certain way, they will all object to it. So that you just take for granted. But if you were to, like, lay down a law that said, or not a law, but, like, a rule that was like, here's a rule, professors have to do it this way, there would be a lot of grumbling. And understandably, I don't know who is in a position to feel like they should tell professors, here's your dress code. Except for me, apparently. Right. It's not so much that I want it to be a dress code for everybody. I want enough people to do it that I don't seem weird if I do it. That's what I'm really looking for. Do you want to be mistaken for a Harry Potter character? As long as it's a Ravenclaw. I'm Hufflepuff all the way. <laughs> that does not surprise me at all. 
Hufflepuff is the best house. They're loyal and they value friendship. I don't know much else about them. Ravenclaw is the best house. It's a good house. It's definitely above, like, Gryffindor. Yeah, Gryffindor is in the running for worst house. Yeah. Alongside Slytherin. And it's kind of sad that Gryffindor is, like, in competition with Slytherin for worst house, since Slytherin is the evil one. That's their defining trait is evil. Ambition. I hope people write in and get all upset that I've overlooked, like, characters who aren't evil and in Slytherin. There are probably one or two of those. But anyway, Ravenclaws are the best, and they get shortchanged in the series, because we don't meet as many of them as we do people in the other houses. Next idea. A new Star Trek TV series set in the Romulan Empire and really exploring that mini-arc thing that Enterprise tried to do. Alright, you're going to have to explain the mini-arc thing to me. Okay. So here's what it is. The original Star Trek was very episodic, and there wasn't any character development even, like, across the series. Not like Kirk grew as a person. Kirk was who he was for the whole thing, and you could basically watch the episodes in any order, and it wouldn't really make a big difference. Sure, they were solid types throughout. Yeah, Star Trek The Next Generation, the order of watching the episodes matters slightly more, because, like, the characters develop and they have relationships that are sort of in the background. It's not like there's one ongoing plotline for the whole show, but, like, Worf gets slightly less grumpy as the series goes on, or better about being grumpy in appropriate circumstances, whatever, right? Like, characters change and grow a little bit, and so there's character development, but, like, still it's very episodic rather than serialized. Deep Space Nine was the first one that had just, like, a central ongoing plot. And so there was, like, the core story arc of the show. Do you think that was relayed, Deep Space Nine also having one centralized setting? I think that's part of it. I think it's also because Babylon 5 was released at around the same time. And that was Babylon 5's big thing was the big ongoing story. And so I think, I know there was accusations that Deep Space Nine people had ripped off Babylon 5. Which, even if they did, Deep Space Nine is a much more watchable show than Babylon 5. There are also accusations that the Babylon 5 people ripped off Star Control 2. What is Star Control 2? You haven't played Star Control 2? It's a video game? Yeah, it's a great video game. I have not played it. Oh, I feel like I've heard you talk about it. No, that's Fantasy Star 2. No, that's Shining Force 2. That's right. I mostly like sequels. Wait, sorry, so I haven't even gotten to Enterprise yet. So, Enterprise... For the first three seasons, whatever, who cares? In the fourth season of Enterprise, they decided to start doing this thing where instead of doing one really big ongoing story, uh, they would do like mini series. So like there'd be like three or four episode arcs with the same storyline that gets told over the course of three episodes. Hmm. And so that I thought was really interesting storytelling innovation where like you had the same characters and you were getting to watch a bunch of mini series with those characters. But... The people who made Star Trek Enterprise clearly didn't want anyone to watch or enjoy it, so they made it have the worst theme song in the history of theme songs and did all sorts of other things to sabotage the show. So it would be really nice if they would make a new TV show that really tried to do that thing right, and it would be about Romulans. That sounds a little bit like uh, some later seasons of news radio. (laughs) No, it doesn't. The approach to the mini-arcs, I mean, not the Romulans. (laughs) I don't think that it does. No, News Radio actually did that a lot later on in its run. Um. Like, remember the, it was like three episodes about whether Mr. James was D.B. Cooper? Were there three episodes about that, or were there three episodes, like, with recurring gags about it? No, about it. It was the focus of the plot. I do not remember that. Was the one where he ran for president, was that, uh... No, that was a one-shot episode. Oh, okay. That was a great episode. Though that actually did tie into an ongoing thing about his search for a wife. That's right. 
All right, you know what? I'm not going to argue with you. But do you think my idea for a TV show is good? And if not, what are your problems with it? I don't remember why I should care about the Romulans. Because they're the Romans. Oh, you hate the Romans. Never mind. You wouldn't like that idea at all. I don't find the Romans especially interesting. Are they more or less interesting than angry people who murder each other and then say things about honor that have no relationship to their actions? A bit less interesting, actually. They're, they're all about intrigue, and they have, like, a surveillance state that they live in, and yeah. poignant commentary on our own society. Okay, so you think it's a bad idea because Romulans are dumb. Yeah, I object to that more than the mini-arcs thing. Also, I'm not sure we really... Last time they cancelled a Star Trek series, Enterprise, didn't they do so in such a way that there can never again be a Star Trek TV show? I don't think that they did that. I mean, what they did was they made the last one so bad that it will be a long time before anyone makes a new one. I'd assume that there couldn't be any more because of that. It's not like canon in the Star Trek universe that there will be no more TV series, if that's what you're suggesting. No, I was assuming it was canon for TV networks. Yeah, I don't think that's true. Okay, next idea. I think you're going to like this one. Olympic freeze tag. So... Freeze tag, that's free-for-all. This wouldn't be with teams or anything, right? This would be like one person from each country competing in the event. They all play freeze tag together. Yeah, well, what you could do is you'd have multiple, like, slight variations of the rules, and so you could have different people compete in different uh, freeze tag events. Like, there could be uh, freeze tag in a completely open space, and then freeze tag in some sort of more obstacle coursey type area. Right, like how there are dozens of events that are basically just running or just swimming. Yeah, I think swimming is the one that swimmers get like so many medals, but that's because like there's like a billion swimming events. And if you're swimming the freestyle and not the freestyle, sorry, if you're swimming the front crawl because it is freestyle and anybody who's in a freestyle event will choose front crawl. Yeah. You can swim in a bunch of freestyle events. And if you're really good at swimming the front crawl, you will do well in many of those events. Anyway, this wouldn't have as many as that. There'd be like four freeze tag ones. Maybe one of them would have medics. And so you could have two-person teams. The medic tags you in and you get unfrozen. It would seem like a sillier event than most of the current Olympic events. Bear in mind that they recently were discussing cutting wrestling out of the Olympics. Oh, why? I don't remember what their reason was for cutting it out. I just remember everybody thinking it was ridiculous since it was like the one event that has definitely involved in the original Olympics, like back in Greece. And you think freeze tag would help them return to those roots? <laughs> no, my thought was if they're throwing out wrestling, there's no rules. There could be any sport we want could be in there. I'm taking advantage of the fact that we're not paying attention to those roots. I'm not sure that freeze tag is a robust enough sport to hold up under the scrutiny of people training for the Olympics. I feel like there might be degenerate strategies there. Like, what happens if there's, like, collusion between different people competing in this if it's done as a free-for-all? Ooh, that's a good point. I think a better thing to do would be to get more freeze tag tournaments at a regional level and let the sport <laughs> build up some popularity through that. <laughs> Because there may be a lot of just logistical details to work out with codifying the rules before it's ready to drive for the Olympics. Okay, then how about Olympic kickball? Honestly, if you'd told me there was already Olympic kickball, I wouldn't have been too surprised. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, last idea. And we're closing the list like we opened it with one where I don't quite know what it means, but I know that there's an idea there. All right. Reverse Ponzi scheme. Huh. Okay, so... Instead of trying to recruit other people who will 
pay money to you so that you can then give a cut to the person who recruited you. You're doing that in reverse. Um, Would it be bad for you to recruit people? Because if so, this scheme is not going to go far. I was thinking it wouldn't be bad for you. The way I'm thinking about it, like the pyramid schemes or the Ponzi schemes, it's progressively worse each level of involvement. Like the further down the chain you are, the worse off you are. Yeah. So I'm thinking of something where it's good at every level, but it gets better the further down you are. Okay, so those benefits are coming from somewhere, but it isn't from the upper levels, because otherwise it gets terrible for those people. Yeah, no, that's true. So that would be a problem, is if there's no way to get all the benefits, and it would be exponentially harder to get those benefits, wouldn't it? Okay, what about at each level you're given a bunch of life advice from the level above you, and you pass that on to the people you recruit, along with some extra life advice that you write down for them. So at each level you're getting more of this accumulated advice about things to do in life. Oh, that's the trick. You just need something that's not scarce. Right. Instead, it's just random people writing down their tips for picking a career or whatever. At a certain point, though, I don't know if that would satisfy the criterion, because at a certain point, if you're just getting everybody's advice, it's going to be useless to you. Realistically, most of this advice is going to be useless at every level. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. We need to come up with a name for a Ponzi scheme where nobody benefits, but exponentially so. Like, I got something of zero value, and then... He got 10 things of zero value. <laughs> I mean, this idea isn't all that formed, but there is the potential for it to be a good idea just because a Ponzi scheme is a bad idea, and this is defined as the reverse of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not sure that sort of definitional trick is enough to make this a good idea. Okay. Like, a Ponzi scheme is a clearly worked out thing that people actually do, and I think this is the reverse of that. <laughs> Okay, so I don't know if we've satisfied the request, because I made a big list of ideas, but Ben did not tell me why they won't work for many of them. I feel like I told you why most of them wouldn't work. I don't, we'll go through, we'll see if it was actually most. I feel like you were kind of on board with far too many of them. I feel like more than 80% of them had problems. Yeah, but, okay, that's probably fair. Someone who was paying more attention than either of us can score that. Yeah, and then can tell us what they think Smurf and Turf would be. Because I think it's a good idea, I just don't know what the idea is. I don't think it's an idea yet. I think it might be possible to make a good idea with that title. <laughs> Smurf and Turf. All right. Well, thanks for listening. And we will see you next time on RequestCast. Or rather, you'll hear us next time on RequestCast. RequestCast is powered by the requests of listeners like you. You can send us your requests on the web at podcast.requestcomics.com or visit our forum at timefan.com. <laughs>